Uh, pumped to be here. You know, uh, missed you guys so much. I've been gone two weeks, and um, I'll tell you about that in a second. But uh, it's so cool because Mrs. Hunt today leading the first song. I look up on stage, and there is Mr. and Mrs. Holloway up on stage. And, um, you know, it's cool to see, like, you know, Paige and Grant are married now, and it's like, man, it's, this is what church is all about. It's watching people grow. and love that. And just the, the way that attendance is making, making a difference campaign is happening, and just so many good things happening. Bless back so many good things happening at the church. And, um, I hope we don't take this for granted. I mean, I, I, you know, just traveling a little bit, being in some other churches. God's doing some incredible things all over the country. But, man, he's doing something really special here at Hope City Church. I hope we don't take it for granted. Uh, we're going to jump into our message in just a moment. But I want to, before we get into that, I want to just kind of uh, update you a little bit on some things that are happening. Um, been away for a few weeks, getting a little rested, recharged, doing a little bit of work myself. Uh, Pastor John and I had the chance two weeks ago to, uh, to go to Canada, and we, were, we flew from Louisville to LaGuardia to Toronto to uh, Regina to get a rental car to drive to Moose Jaw. I mean, it took forever to get there, but we got there and uh, had a chance to train pastors in the western region of Canada in Saskatchewan, and it was just an incredible time, and you know if you've ever been a part of, like, giving out of yourself to help somebody, you get more out of it than the people that you're supposedly helping. And so that was, um, that was really incredible. And I came away from Canada with two thoughts. The first thought is, I really want a Canadian accent. I mean, it is, it is so cool. John, is it not the coolest accent? I mean, they're talking to me like, man, I want that accent. Like, I, this, the way they say A to everything, I thought it was just a stereotype joke. No, it's true. They say A, A. Hey, from Kentucky, eh? Like, it's amazing, and I want it, and I'm just going to start talking like that, so just go with me. In my sermons now, instead, if I say something, instead of saying amen, I'm going to be like, eh? God's good, eh? You know, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, that was cool. But honestly, the, the, the takeaway for, for me was that God is, is doing incredible things all over the world. And uh, we were blown away by the quality of young leaders that we met, so hungry for God, so hungry to learn and build life-giving churches. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer that God never wastes a trip. And I believe every Christian should have a passport because you never know when God's going to say go and you don't want to wait six weeks on the government. So you just need to be able to go. And God never wastes a trip. And so one of the things my dad taught me when I was a kid is like whenever you go on a trip, a mission trip, whatever, just always be praying like, God, while I'm on this trip, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to tell me? And, uh, and so met an incredible leader there in Canada who has it in his heart to plant 10 churches over the next four years in some of the metropolitan cities in Canada. And you know me, I'm like, just handing over cash, like just whatever we need to do. Uh, but Hope City Church is going to figure out some ways to partner with him and some of those leaders to help plant these churches in Canada. Um, so that was obviously exciting to feel like that you're on the front end of a great opportunity. We always want to be on the front end. We don't want to be on the back end. You know, we want to be on the front end of what God's doing and to be able to just say yes. And so through Imagine, uh, we're going to be able to help make a difference uh, in Canada. So that was awesome. And then last week I was in Atlanta for a little R&R, &R, but also the last half of that was for uh, training for me. So I, the first trip I was doing the training. The second trip, I'm part of a pastoral coaching network and, uh, 
And it's always great to be together with those guys. But I have to tell you a story about something that happened while I was there. Just so cool. Some of you may have saw on Twitter. I was, I was tweeting about it. But um, while we were at this event, there were 86 pastors together in Atlanta in the conference room of the Hilton by the airport. And uh, the second day, we were able to surprise one of the pastors in the room. His name is Bodie, Pastor Bodie. And he planted Transform Church 10 months ago on the west side of Philadelphia, in West Philly. And uh, every time I say West Philly, I think church 10 months. I don't know why. It's just West Philadelphia. Anyway, all right. So, um, but he planted Transform Church 10 months ago, and he works a full-time job uh, on top of his responsibilities as the pastor of the church while the church is getting off the ground. And so during the afternoon session, nobody knew what was going on except a few people. During the afternoon session, they called up Pastor Bodie. actually brought a picture. Uh, they, they called up Pastor Bodie. That's him with the Empire Strikes Back shirt. And uh, that's Matt Keller on the right. He's one of my coaches and pastoring in him. They called him up, and they got a little bit of his story, obviously. And they said, Pastor Bodie, we heard you're working a full-time job. And he said, yeah, we are. All right, you know, I am. And, and, uh, and he said, Pastor Matt said, well, here's what we're going to do. I believe among these 85 other pastors in the room who believe in you and believe in church planning and believe in God, that we can raise your salary this year and so that you can call your wife today and call your company and tell them you quit so you can plant the church. And it was like an auction. It was unbelievable, you know? And I'm thinking like, God, please don't, please don't, like, I don't want to give too much. I don't know. And so, um, so Matt's like, all right. So we're not leaving until we raise this salary. We need $50,000. Who's in? And one by one, these pastors in the room are like, I'll give 1000 I'll give 2500 I'll give 1000 It was unbelievable. And so, and so, so Hope City Church gave $1,000. We're giving $1,000 to Pastor Bodie. And it was amazing. And he's crying. You know, he goes and calls his wife. And it was just amazing. And the reason I tell you that story is because you know how we feel about generosity around here. And so I just want you to know that when you give to Imagine, like you're making a difference in West Philadelphia yeah. uh, at, at today at Transform Church. And you're making a difference in Moose Jaw, Canada and Saskatchewan. And I mean, all over the world because of your $200, $500, $1,000 that you give towards Imagine. It's amazing to see what God is doing and to have an opportunity to... Uh, to do that. So I, I just wanted to update you because those were some exciting things that happened uh, while I was gone. And then let me just say one more thing uh, as we jump into the message. On my way home, I was able to listen to the podcast of Pastor John's message last week, and it was amazing. It was really good. I just, I had my headphones in, and I just kept turning to Andrew, like, this is really good. This is really good. And, uh, and I, my, favorite, my favorite line in the message was, um, if you missed it, you need to go find it on podcast. But it was Father's Day, and he was talking to everybody, but the fathers. And my favorite line was, we, he said, to talking to the men in the room, he said, if you serve your family first, they will always serve you. If you serve your, if you lead the way, if you model servant leadership, and to do, and not to worry about your family serving you and, and falling under you and what you're trying to do. And that's, that's really good. And I love what God is doing in Pastor John and Christine's life. I'm ready for baby number two. Abigail Rose is what we're thinking we're going with. Abigail Rose. I'm going to call her Rosie, maybe. I don't know. Ready for her to get here, but we're really blessed to have them on staff. Okay, so, so much I want to say 
I could preach an hour, but I'm not going to, all right? We are starting a brand new series today, a summer series called Making Sense of Spiritual Things. Making Sense of Spiritual Things, and I've been waiting to teach this for a while. I've been talking to the team about it, um, because this series is all about why. It's all about why. And so often in church and religion, we focus on the what, right? We focus on what you don't need to do. And maybe that was your experience with church growing up, religion growing up. Like, these are all the things you don't need to do. Or we focus on maybe what you need to do, but we, we don't talk about why enough. Why do we do what we do? And it's easy to hang around church long enough and fit in without ever really knowing why we do what we do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but probably a lot of you in the room, you're like, yeah, I don't know why I lift my hands when I worship. I just noticed everybody else was lifting their hands, so I lifted my hands. You know, I don't know why necessarily we give in the offering, but we give, so I give. I don't know why, you know, we do these things, but everybody else was doing them, so I, I just did them. And so whether you've been following Jesus for three weeks or three years, okay, it's easy to just join along, but never really understand a lot of the spiritual practices and beliefs of people who follow Jesus. We are not like the world, and I don't mean that uh, competitively or degrading because God has called us to love and be in the world. But there are things that we do, things that we believe, practices that we hold to that are different solely because we follow Jesus. And they're good things. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, that's what this series is about. Each week, our teaching team will teach on a specific topic uh, fundamental to our life as Christians. And I want to go ahead and give you what those weeks are so that you can make sure to be here when you need to be here. I hope you're here for all of them. But next week, Pastor John, I'm going to throw this up. Next week, Pastor John is preaching on worship. Uh, the next week, July 9th, I'm preaching on the rapture. I've never done that. And I'm excited about it. In times, I've already called my grandmother. Like, let's talk about the rapture. Um, <laughs> July 16th, Andrea's preaching on the Holy Spirit. You need to be here for that. Uh, I'm preaching on generosity, July 23rd. And then John is back, depending on what happens with little Rosie, on, uh, on the church, okay? On the church, July 30th. So we're going to be hitting these topics, the Bible, worship, the rapture, Holy Spirit, generosity, and the church, and really explaining the why behind these things that we do, these things that we believe, and I know it's summer, and I know you're traveling, and I know you have vacation, and I know you go to the lake, and I know you do all those things, and I think that's awesome, and I want you to go and be with your family, but if you're in town, I really want to encourage you to be here and to, to make sure that you uh, are here for these weeks, specifically anything that God's been putting on your heart or questions you have uh, been asking, okay? So today, we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the Bible, and specifically, we're going to talk about why we can trust the Bible and why it's so important to, to our lives. And I love talking about the Bible because I know for so many of us in the room, it's a struggle to read the Bible on a consistent, consistent basis. Maybe you are one of the people who struggle to read the Bible because it's boring. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because then God would know who to punish. But like, <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not how it works. Um, but, you know, you're like, I, I've tried to read the Bible, Jason, but it's just boring. It com feels completely irrelevant to your life. And, you know, you're looking for specific answers in life to specific questions. And every time you try to find your answer, it just feels like the Bible is filled with names and rules, but no answers. I get it. Uh, there are others who really want to read the Bible, but you struggle to understand what it means. 
you're hungry for it, but you're like, Jason, I try, and it sounds like Old English and Shakespeare, and then there's like weird thing, names. I, I don't even know what's going on. The words are confusing. The language is outdated. Everything seems to symbolize something. And it makes sense when you teach it, but then when I try to read it for myself, it just makes no sense. I'm confused. And so that's obviously a category for us. And some of you in here, it's not about language or it's not about interest. For you, it's about authenticity. You're not sure you can trust the Bible. How can a book written so long ago be applicable for now, right? How, how do we know it's not made up? Like, come on, Jay. You're telling me Jonah really was in that well and three days and three nights. You're telling me Noah really built that ark? I mean, come on, you know. Like, how can we trust it's not made up? How do we know God still wants us to live by commands that he gave people in another century or another custom? What about the rules that seem unfair? It's unfair because my friends who I love and who are good people, it doesn't line up with their life, and so I struggle to believe in the Bible because the Bible completely contradicts the lives of the people that I, I love. It seems, seems unfair. Those are all great questions, right? All great questions, and I won't have time to answer all of them today, but, but the most important thing that I, that I want you to know is that God is not bothered by your questions, He's not bothered by your questions. And great questions lead to great faith, right? Great questions lead to great faith. So keep asking, keep, keep investigating. Now, I want to start today by addressing the third group, okay? We're going to get to the other stuff, but I want to start by addressing the third group, those who wonder if we can trust the Bible, okay? So before we jump into how it applies to our lives and how we can get more out of it, uh, let's talk about the authenticity of the Bible, how we can trust it. I want to read a passage of scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It's going to be up on the screen, or you can find it on your phone, or if you have a Bible, you can read along with us. But it's, it's 2 Timothy, actually just verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, okay? Here's what it says. It says, all scripture, that's, that's another name for the Bible. We call this scripture, okay? All scripture is inspired by God. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. There's a lot to unpack in these scriptures, but I want to start with the first six words because that's the most important part, right? The first six words are the most important part. Here's the first six words is what it says. All scripture, the Bible, is inspired by God. Now, this book, the Bible, Scripture, is the Word of God, the breath of God, from the mouth of God. It is inspired by God, okay? Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history, all right, in case you play Trivial Pursuit later or you're going to lunch with people and you can impress them with Bible knowledge. I want to give you just a little bit of context and history about the Bible, okay? So just hang with me for a moment. The Bible's made up of 66 books, okay? 66 books, 39 books are in the Old Testament, and that takes up most of the Bible, actually. So all of this here is the Old Testament, and that's 39 of the books. And the Old Testament is everything that happened before Jesus, before Christmas story, right? That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is that part right there, and that is 27 books in the New Testament, and that is about the life of Jesus while he lived and everything that happened after Jesus, okay? 
The Bible is one book, the way that we buy it and the way that we bind it. So it's one book, but it's really 66 books put together and inspired by God. So what does it mean that the Bible is inspired, is inspired by God? What does that mean? Does that mean that he gave people the words to write? Does that mean that he made the pen like move on the paper? It was like a Ouija board. It was just like, you know, like the, the pen's moving on the, on the paper. Were the authors in a trance? Did they have a dream? Like, what, how, how is it inspired by God? Well, when it says that the Bible is inspired by God, it means three things, okay? The first things it means is that it was written the way, it was written how God wanted it written, right? It was written how God wanted it written. The second thing that inspired by God means is that it was put together the way God wanted it put together. So it was written the way God wanted it written, it was put together the way God wanted it put together. And then the third thing that inspired by God means is that he preserved it to stand the test of time. He continues to preserve it. So in other words, this book is exactly how God wants it. That's what inspired by God means. That every word, every story, every layout, everything, it is exactly how God wants it. It is man-made in the sense that men wrote it, printed it, bound it, but it is not a man-made book. It's inspired by God. God didn't move the pen in their hand any more than he types the letters on my keyboard when I'm preparing a message. But he put it into the hearts of men over a span of 1,500 years to write historical accounts and teachings that he planned to use for the church for the rest of time. But here's what's crazy, is, is that the people who were writing didn't know that what they were writing was going to be in the Bible. There was no context in their mind that, like, God's going to put together this book, and it's going to be the Bible, and they're going to call it Scripture, so I need to write it a certain way because it's going to be a book in the Bible. They had no idea that their writings were going to be in a book called the Bible. No one sat down to write the Bible. They were just writing letters. They were writing accounts of things. And they were probably oblivious to the inspiration of God. They were just writing what they felt like they needed to write. The same way that I put together a message based on what I feel like I need to put together. And then over 1,500 years of all these writings and accounts, these particular 66 historical writings and letters were put together and included in the Bible, all right? So the men who wrote these books, they were writing what was on their heart. They were writing what they witnessed, but God was up to something bigger. And they wrote under the inspiration of God exactly what God wanted you and me to read and everyone else before us and everyone else after us, all right? Now, archaeology... And other writings from non-Christian writers from these time periods verify that the things that happened in this book actually happened. Like, we, we have more than just the Bible to prove that the Bible is true. That there are Jewish writers, historical writers, and archaeology that, that proves that it's true. And there's never been one archaeology, archaeological, there you go, discovery... That has discredited the Bible. Did you know that? 
Like maybe you saw on CNN or the History Network or something, they found the bones of some guy who disproves, or they found this other scroll or this other letter. So the Bible's a fine book, but it's not actually what they said it was. It's not true. It's not true. They've never found one piece of historical evidence to disprove the Bible. On the contrary, everything they find, even in an attempt to disprove the Bible, proves the Bible more. Right? Proves the Bible, proves the Bible more. So, um, in the first century, okay, church leaders would use the term scripture to describe certain letters written by certain disciples and certain apostles. And over the course of about 300 or 400 years, they wrestled with what letters and books were truly scripture, truly inspired by God, and what letters were, you know, like good and fine and, you know, nice, but not truly inspired by God. And in A.D. 397, I mean, you were going to kill the Bible category at Trivia Night from here on out, all right? In A.D. 397, okay, the Bible as we know it, this book, the book that you have on your phone or wherever you have it, was finalized by a council of, of men and has been accepted as God's word for over 2,000 years. All right? So just wrap your mind around this. The United States of America is 241 years old. Okay? 397 years after Jesus Christ, after generations of Christians have prayed and wrestled and read and taught and, and broken down for 400 years of debate and scholarly investigation. So another 160 years on the United States of America. Then they came together and said, we believe that these 66 books are the inspired teaching words of God. This was not like four guys in a room, it's like, I don't know, thumbs up, thumbs down, let's flip a coin. No, this was an incredibly lengthy process of a span of 1,500 years of writing and 400 years of investigation, debate, and, and give and take from from the church. Now, there were other letters and accounts written besides the books that we have in, in the Bible. I know there's lots of people in the room today grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school, and, uh, and you probably have read in the Catholic Bible or different, different books about other books that were not included, you know, books like First uh, and Second Maccabees, or uh, it's called the Apocrypha, and, and these letters and accounts were not included in the Hebrew traditional Bible as the mainline Protestant evangelical church uh, accepted it, okay? And there's several reasons why that was the case. That's not the point of the message today. But the biggest reason, just in case you were wondering, that, that these books were left out, the Apocrypha was left out, is because Jesus or the disciples or the apostles never made reference to it. So all throughout Jesus' life when he would say, it is written, so-and-so-and-so. He was referencing Old Testament books. Or, or he would make a, make a story about it. Or he would, you know, reference Jonah or whatever. That no disciple, no apostle Jesus ever made reference to any of the books in the Apocrypha. So 400 years of debate and scholarly investigation and other reasons, they said we just don't feel like these books make it in. And so we have the 66 books that God wants us to have. And every word Every letter, every story is inspired. It's inspired by God. 
all right? Now, there were three rules, all right? I'm almost done with the history, so just bear with me. There were three rules that these men in the room in 397 AD used, in case you were wondering, to, to put together this book. Number one, it had to be written by a prophet or an apostle or by somebody who had a special relationship to a pro, prof, uh, prophet or apostle, okay? So, like, you know, Joe and Daryl can't send in a letter and be like, hey, we got a letter we want to be in the Bible. Like, it didn't work like that. It had to be a disciple or an apostle. Number two, they had to be an eyewitness of, uh, to the events and have eyewitness testimony. It couldn't be a ton of he said, she said. And then number three, there had to be an agreement by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the men in the room. Like, yeah, we don't feel good about that one. Yeah, we feel good about that one. Those were the standards that were put together, okay? And so the Bible is inspired by God. I just want to make that point. I want you to know that. It's important for where we're going. That the Bible is inspired by God. Nothing was left out. Nothing was made up. And it hasn't changed since the beginning, right? So, so here's the big idea. Here, here's the way you can remember this. We have the Bible that God wants us to have so we can know what he wants us to know. We have the Bible that God wants us to have so we can know what he wants us to know. Now, I gave you a ton of information, more information than, than we normally do. But I think it's important to say, to say one more thing. As Christians, and maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I don't, I'm not a Christian, I don't follow Jesus, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure, I've got questions. As Christians, we believe all of the Bible. We believe all of it, okay? We don't pick and choose the parts that we believe are authoritative and which ones are not. Because once you choose not to believe one part of the Bible, you disqualify all of it. It stands it's together and stands up because all of it is inspired by God. So the moment you say, well, that part's probably not, then you can, you can pick and choose any part you don't want to believe. And so we believe that all of it is inspired by God. All right? Even the parts we wish weren't in there. You ever read something in the Bible? You're like, man, I wish that wasn't in there. What's well, in there? We believe it. We believe it is inspired by God. We, we believe the parts that we don't necessarily agree with at the time. So there are times you read parts of the Bible and you go, I just don't know if I believe that, okay? God is incredibly gracious and patient and the Holy Spirit will continue to help you and to work with you. But just because you don't believe it doesn't mean you get to say, well, that's probably not true. No, the Bible is truth. And so your, your life may not line up with the scripture and you get the help of God and time to work through those things, but that doesn't discredit the Bible. Your opinion or my opinion doesn't discredit the Bible. It is true, and it is inspired by God. It's okay to say things like, I don't like that the Bible says that, but it's not okay to say, I don't believe that God meant that. Well, I mean, I know that's in there, but I don't think God meant that. You know, I don't think that that's important to our culture now or relevant to where we are. So over and over again, the Bible has been proven to be historically accurate. And even though kings and emperors and nations have tried to destroy it, it has stood the test of time. But it's not just a historical account, okay? It's not just a historical document, even though it can be used as that. And even science, scientists and scholars, non-Christians will use the Bible as reference for historical accounts. It's not just a historical document. It's important you know that. That the Bible is, rel is as relevant to your life now as it was to anyone 
at any time, okay? Now, Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active. Everybody say alive. alive. Say active. That, that Hebrews 4.12 says that this book is not just history, that it is alive and it is accurate. I mean, it's active, accurate, it's accurate too. And active. You have no idea what's going on in my head while I'm preaching. The word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to, even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Like, don't rush past that. That's unbelievable. In other words, Hebrews 4.12 is saying that when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. I love that. That when you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. So when you open this book and you're like, okay, I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible, the Bible's like, no, no, no. God's like, no, 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 no. You think you're reading the Bible. The Bible's reading you. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It goes straight to the heart of, of the matter. And it never ceases to amaze me how, how often that whatever I read in the Bible for that day is exactly what I needed to read. Has anybody ever had that happen before? You're like, okay, I'm going to start this reading plan, I guess. And like, oh my gosh, I was just praying about that. How does that happen? It happens because the Bible is alive. It's a living, breathing book. It's like the movie Jumanji, kind of. It's like things just start happening. You know what I mean? We don't just read the Bible because we're supposed to. We read the Bible because it's alive and active. It's the word of God for our life. I got a few minutes left, and I, let's go back just for a second to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We read it before, but let's read it again. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us, teaches us to do what is right. So according to 2 Timothy 3, 16, God gave us the inspired word, his word. God gave us the Bible for three reasons. To teach us what is true. The Bible teaches us what is true. Truth is just not whatever is popular right now. Because that changes. Society changes. Culture changes. You know, coconut oil is healthy, and then it's not healthy anymore. And, you know, chocolate's good for you, then chocolate's bad for you. I mean, like, we're, truth is constantly cycling you know, whatever it is. The Bible is always true. And so the more we read it, we are taught what is true. And, and it's not about what feels fair or what we think is right. It's true. There has to be a standard. If there's no standard, then no one can be right and no one can be wrong. And there's nothing to uh, place our lives on. Like there has to be. If we did not have the Ten Commandments, then why is murder wrong? We said, because it's mean. Why is it mean? Why is it wrong? Well, we shouldn't steal. Why? We shouldn't have affairs. Why? Well, just because I don't think that's good. Well, that's great, but you're not the authority. There has to be a standard. And so even the laws in our country, even though it can be debated here and there, even most of the laws that our country was founded on, it started because the, the founders of the country are like, well, the Bible says these are some good rules, so we'll go with those. And, and there has to be a standard. There has to be a standard of truth. And so we read the Bible because it teaches us what is true. Secondly, it makes us realize what is wrong and corrects us when we're wrong. 
So you may be thinking one thing, doing one thing, going down a certain path, and you begin to read the Bible, and you go, oh, I didn't even know that I wasn't supposed to think that, believe that. I didn't know that that was wrong. I didn't know that I should change. But now here it is in the Bible, and so I guess this is, this is true. It's almost impossible to consistently read the Bible and to continue to be in wrong places doing wrong things. It's almost impossible. And every time I talk to a friend of mine who used to love Jesus with all their heart but is falling away, I ask them the same question every time, no matter what. First question, are you reading your Bible? Because if you're not, I totally understand why you're slipping away. Because you're allowing yourself, you're a one-man committee on what is true and what is not true. So when a guy comes to me and says, hey, I don't love my wife anymore, but I really love this person over here, and I think God would want me to be happy over there, I say, have you reading your Bible? I know you're not reading your Bible. Because the Bible teaches us, shows us what is wrong, and helps us, corrects us when we're wrong. Or whatever it is. I'm just giving examples. You know what I mean, right? And then number three, it teaches us to do what is right. It doesn't just say, like, wrong, 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 wrong. It guides us in truth and teaches us what is right. It's not a book that just tells us what we shouldn't do. It's actually filled with more commands of what to do than a list of things to avoid. If you need to forgive someone, just keep reading the Bible. You will eventually forgive them because the Bible won't let it go. You're like, man, is every verse in this about forgiveness? My goodness, like, won't let it go. If you have certain sins you keep going back to, just keep reading your Bible. You will eventually lay them down because the Bible will fill your heart and mind with new thoughts and desires. And so I know there's been so much information, but I want to show you one more thing for the time that we have left. And I, I, I really believe for me, and I'm passionate about the Bible, I love reading the Bible, I love writing about the Bible and talking about the Bible. All these things that I've told you are incredible, and we need them, and they're true. But I think for me, my favorite thing about the Bible is in Psalm 119, verse 105. This is what it says. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet. And light and a light for my path. That your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. What I love about the Bible is it illuminates God's path for my life. Even if what I'm reading has nothing to do with what I think I need to be reading about, it has a way of illuminating my path. There have been many times where I've read something and I thought, oh, that was nice. And then two weeks later, I'm like, now I know why I read that. Because it's alive and active, and it is illuminating the path. Now, we all live in the dark. We live in the dark. You don't know what's going to happen at your job tomorrow. You don't know if you're sick right now or not. You don't know if your car's going to break down. You don't know what's going to happen to your kids. Like, you don't know. You live in the dark. Jesus said, you have no idea what tomorrow holds. So you may feel totally enlightened. You know, you may feel told like you've got everything under control. You have nothing under control. It is all crapshoot. I mean, it is, you, I don't want to, you're like, wow, some of you have a look on your face like, wow, I was confident until that moment. Like, I just want you to know, like, everything's up in the air. You're living in the dark. And so you and I, with our marriage, with our job, with our career, with our kids, with everything, we live in the dark. And the one thing that we can go to in our lives all the time, there's no limit on how much we get to read it. 
The one thing that we get to go to is the word of God. And the Bible says that that darkness that you're living in, the sinful world, the fallen world that you're living in, lights your path. Let me show you what I mean. Go ahead, Cody. The Bible says that we live in the dark. And that when I go to the Bible, I open it up, and it gives me confidence in the life that I am living to take another step, to go in that direction. You say, should I take that job or should I not take that job? Well, you're not going to find a Bible verse that says yes or no, but you just read that thing. And you'll have peace about what step to take next. God begins to speak to you, lead you, tug on your heart, knock on your shoulder, and it's lighting your path. But here's what's interesting about lights and lamps and lanterns about the path is it doesn't light my path 10 steps away. It just gives me enough light for one or two, maybe three steps. That's why Jesus said, when we pray, pray, give us today our daily bread. So we say, God, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm not even sure what this afternoon holds. But I'm going to your word and I'm reading your inspired word of God because I need a light. I need a path. I, I need to know where I'm going and what I should do and, 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 and how you want my life to be. And what I need a light. And some of you in the room today, you feel like you are surrounded by darkness. That your life feels dark. Your heart feels dark. Everything about life feels dark right now. God gives us a light. And we can go to it any time that we want. Any time that we want. You can bring the lights back up, Cody. It's so easy. It's so easy to take for granted that we have Bibles. You know? It's like I got it on my phone. You know, I got an app for it. It's so easy to, to just take it for granted. Take, take for granted the opportunity to read them. But, but I, want, I want you to understand today the power of the Bible, that the Bible is God's first choice. It's God's first choice to speak to you and to speak to me. More than what Pastor Jason said in a sermon, more than what you felt when you were praying, more than, you know, the inspiration of a movie or a book, God's first choice to speak to you is the Bible. And you get just as much opportunity to hear from God as I do. There's nothing any more special about my Bible than yours. You get to hear from God. And as much as we want to hear from Him, we get to go and hear from Him. I want to show you this video um, as we close today. I, I recently saw this floating around the internet. And the quality is actually kind of bad, so I hope you can see it. This is a video of Christians in China receiving Bibles for the very first time in their life. I'm going to show you this, guys. Thank you. 
我看到这本书，我就看到了那些帮助我们的弟兄姊妹们，他们的血汗力倒出来的。这是我们教会这个时候最需要的，真是我们最需要的书。Listen, I don't show you that video to make you feel guilty. I just think it's important that we recognize that other people in other countries desperately crave the ability to have their own Bible, and we can buy them in bulk at Sam's, right? But it's available to us—an opportunity to hear God speak to you. It's not a ritual or a chore; it's a supernatural interaction. I know some of you in the room. Like I could do six weeks on this and different elements. I know some of you in the room are like Jason. I tried to read the Bible many times. It ain't that inspirational. I, you say God speaks to me. Like I don't. Just keep reading it. Just keep reading it. Just keep reading it. And that sucker, man, it's alive and active. And you just keep reading that thing, and it just grabs a hold of your heart. Like any other discipline in your life that's good for you later, your body revolts against it at first, rejects it at first. Just keep reading that thing. Just keep reading that thing. Buy you a translation that you can use. I use the New Living Translation, but man, they got Bibles now. They're like,、uh, it's like kid talk. I mean, you can get like baby talk Bibles. I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Street slang Bibles. It doesn't matter. There is a version of the Bible that you can find. Don't worry about it. Somebody says it's not the real thing. It's the real thing. Just get it. It's alive and active, and it reads you. Okay. I'm gonna pray for us. And-